BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Did you know People has a podcast? Check out People Every Day. Join our team each weekday for the latest from Hollywood, exclusive interviews, plus news, style, and heartwarming stories guaranteed to brighten your day. Listen and subscribe to People Every Day, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, she went from cop to playboy bunny to convicted killer to prison escapee. But did Lori Bambenek actually do the crime for which she did at the time? We'll review Run, Bambi, Run from Apple Podcasts. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and yes, love of my life, the red sweatshirt wearing Elliot from E.T. looking Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Run, Becky, run. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, which, by the way, is about UFOs and skepticism, and I really recommend listening to it, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin. Yes. This is Thursday's podcast episode. Yes, it is. What are we talking about on next Monday's show? On Monday, we're talking about the podcast sent away. Ooh, what's that about? You'll find out. Oh, okay. So I have a funny little quick anecdote it's to tell. It's about crime. Okay. I have a funny little quick anecdote to tell that relates to Laura and Toby. All right. So today at my job, we were talking about the podcast Wild Thing, which is coming out with a third season. Mm -hmm. So the first season of Wild Thing was about Laura Bricker. Do you remember? Bigfoot. That's correct. And mm -hmm. Laura Bricker was a huge fan of it. And she wanted us all to listen to Wild Thing, the Bigfoot podcast. And I actually listened to some of it and I loved it. And if I remember correctly, Toby was sort of given a shit for like loving the Bigfoot podcast. Yes or no? Yes. It doesn't sound yes. like me. It yeah. does. You were, I loved it because the first season was like her uncle was like the like preeminent Bigfoot expert. And correct. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Her long and lost cousin. And, and then they had <laughs> the nest and they were analyzing the fur. They were doing DNA on the fur. 
<laughs> Correct. So the reason this came up today at work is that I work for a, one of the podcasts I oversee is called Outside In. It's an amazing podcast about the outdoors and the environment and the way we interact with it and stuff. We were talking about the charts and the fact that like all the top outdoors podcasts are all like cryptozoology podcasts about like Bigfoot <laughs> and shit. Anyway, so we talked to so the first season of Wild Thing was about Bigfoot. And the second season of Wild Thing was about UFOs. And we were like, yeah. And so the second season was about UFOs and like this is a podcast like Toby was making fun of. And then we're like, wait a minute. Toby then made a hit podcast about what? UFOs. So Toby, the worm has turned. What is next? Are you going to be making a podcast about Bigfoot next? That is my question. Sure. Because it feels yes. like that is what should be happening. Yes. yes or no? You think I should make a Bigfoot podcast? That's what we oh were talking God. about at my job All today, right. and that is my question for you. Were they were they calling for it, or were they like, oh God? They were calling no. for it. Were they? Your calling podca- for it. <laughs> Na- <laughs> the nature of skepticism is like sort of your thing. Right. I'm thinking Bigfoot should be. I think All it would right. be a really good theme for you. What do you think? I know a guy who thinks that Sasquatch attacked a whole bunch of pot growers <laughs> up yeah. in the California mountains. <laughs> Right before Sasquatch <laughs> dipped into the into the into the river and um, vanished. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's kind of weird. Like I feel like Bigfoot. Like back in the seventies, I feel like the big three were Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, and UFOs. And mm-hmm. I feel it's like Bermuda the, Triangle. Don't forget the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle. Triangle and Nessie was, also was big in the eighties yeah. too. And Nessie was big in the eighties yeah. too. Yeah. And then they. I feel like the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot just kind of faded. Into the background, sort of the Bermuda Triangle. The yeah. Bermuda, yeah, Did anybody nobody, else? Yeah, I, I think if I told my kids like about the Bermuda Triangle, they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" I did a school project on it in fifth grade. I oh remember my that. god! Oh, I was yeah. obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle, but I want, I want to go back to Bigfoot because actually that Bigfoot show filmed up in Northern New Hampshire, where there have been a lot of sightings. Toby, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there <laughs> Finding um, Bigfoot did come to the. Woodsville, like Bretton Woods, like that sort of like region, that northern sort of region in New Hampshire. My kids love that show. Spoiler alert. They never found Bigfoot. Squatching. Bigfoot. Well, what, what was it called? Toby Ball could find Bigfoot. I'm just saying. No, Toby the Ball, Laura Bricker in the Mini Cooper finding Bigfoot. The show was called Finding Bigfoot. I believe it was on the History Channel. And guess what? They never found yeah. Bigfoot. Yeah. Bigfoot. Otherwise, show over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. I think it would be good. So you were saying Nessie, Bigfoot, and the Bermuda Triangle. Go ahead. Well, and UFOs, UFOs. And like UFOs is the only one that's sort of. You know what? Toby Ball, we have a New England one, Champ. Yeah. In Lake Champ. Champlain, we could go see your sister and we could go Champy. see that adorable dog. Yeah, we could, see the door. We, we could go like. and see the. Uh, Clancy. The Clancy Burlington is a dog. Lake correct? Monsters, the that's, minor league baseball him. team. That is, it's called Champ. It's, it's yeah. Champ. It's uh, Lake Champlain Monster. Champ. So Toby Ball, we're going. All right. I don't think we're going to see Champ or Bigfoot. Well, but or we're going to see things. Clancy, the dog. We could see Clancy. So... I'm going to see Clancy, too. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, well, I'm just going to say for the record, I believe in Nessie. Go ahead. You believe Toby. in Bigfoot? Is that what you just said? All right. Well, I just want to say, Toby, I think we've picked the next couple of seasons of your next podcast. Okay, All thanks. right. Well, um, let's get back to business. I think it's time for us to just get into this episode. I don't know. I'm still thinking like Toby Ball and the Bermuda Triangle. Toby Ball Ba-ba. and Nessie. That would actually Come be on. fun to hang out in the Bermuda Triangle. Another yeah. suburban family morning. That's going to be the theme song of Toby's Nessie podcast. I think right? I, I actually like when I was in oh God, what was it? It was probably like fifth grade. I was in some like program at school 
and I brought up the Bermuda Triangle and the teacher was like really into Edgar Casey. Do you know who Edgar Casey is? No. He's like some like guy who supposedly foretold the future in like the 1920s. And we did like a little thing in class about this guy who's just like a 1920s occult like psychic. Like looking back on it is super weird. Anyway, you don't have to put that in the show. <laughs> like Nostradamus? Yeah, no, exactly. He was like a, he was like a he was like Nostradamus, but in our time. But he like has all these followers, including this teacher I had who was like teaching us about him in a public school. Wow. It's really weird. Yep. Do you remember when everyone thought that Nostradamus predicted Muammar Gaddafi? They were yeah. like, that's what Nostradamus. <laughs> Nostradamus. Yeah, he was another guy who kind of he had his moment. That, that yeah. was big in the 80s. Yeah. Nostradamus predicted Libya. That's right. <laughs> oh, the Nostradamus movie. Man, that was great. Yeah. Orson Welles is okay. the narrator. Yeah. For all of our younger listeners, I know that you might not, you might think you know who Nostradamus is because, like, it pop culture references. In the 80s and early 90s, everybody believed that everything was happening was something that Nostradamus was predicted. Yeah. It was like that the was stock like market crash of 1990, 90, 89, 90. Everyone was like, Nostradamus predicted this. You know what we really like, should do? You- the, the real podcast should be like a rewatch <laughs> podcast about In Search Of. Which is like with Leonard Nemo. I was going to ask that. Yeah, it's like a nineteen watching that show. Nineteen seventies and eighties, just like all about all this ridiculous shit, like spontaneous combustion, um, the Kennedy assassination, Kennedy assassination, <laughs> spiritual apparitions, a sudden draft from a window that was supposed to have been closed, a chill at the back of the neck, groans, creaks, and bumps in the night. Man has always been frightened by the dark. <laughs> I'm calling Patrick Hines right now, obsessed with In Search Of. Yes. yes. I'd 100% do that. Okay, I'm, I'm just calling it. We are not editing any of the beginning of the show. This entire beginning of the show is our hit as our obsessed network pitch. For obsessed with In Search Of. <laughs> and the three of us are doing it. This is going to be like the... I'm sorry, Kevin. The four of us are doing it. Okay. <laughs> well... No, oh I'm just God. kidding. The four of us are doing it obsessed. It's going to be amazing. All, All right. right. Well, I think we, we really do have to get to this review on this episode. Kevin, um, I think we should drop that first clip. Should we just do that? Do it. Drop it. Lucky for her, there's a window in the laundry room that's been left open or propped open. Nobody knows for sure. And it's barely cracked enough to be noticeable. But Bambi slips right through the gap, hops down to the ground, and scampers across the lawn. You know. Like a deer, but a super hot deer. In 1990, Lori Bambenik escaped from a Wisconsin prison through an open window. When the former Playboy bunny went on the lam, she became a media sensation and a folk hero. She was profiled in everything from Vanity Fair to People magazine. A woman said to be a kind of sorceress who can get men to help her do anything she wants. This story has all the elements of a good movie and people are willing to watch. But did the former cop and calendar girl known as Bambi actually commit the crime she was in prison for? The murder of her husband's ex-wife? After she blew the whistle on corruption within the Milwaukee Police Department, anything was possible. I won't pretend to believe that I know why they did what they did. Um, All I know is I didn't kill Christine Schultz and more than one person went to an awful lot of trouble to secure evidence against me. 
The new show, Run Bambi Run, from Apple Podcasts, looks back at the sexy and sexist case against Bam Benick. Host Vanessa Gregoriadis also explores her claims of innocence, claims held by many to this day. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first few episodes of Run Bambi Run. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So Toby, this podcast has like an interesting format for me that I'm not sure is like great in terms of hooking the listener, but it is very chronological in that it sort of sets up as like a very flashy true crime podcast and then kind of gets into historical context, which I know is like where your sweet spot is, but it very much starts out like murder, 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 jail escape, (laughs) sound effects. I'm very curious as to what you thought when you started listening to this podcast, because when I started listening to it, I remember thinking like, Toby is going to hate this thing. Yeah, well, I guess the first 20 minutes were a little rough because you do have that sort of, you know, sensationalist Bambi Ben Benick and the the escape and all this stuff. And I remember it did bring back, I was like, oh man, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Like the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then what they do is they, they like set it up, like there's the tease, and then they go back and they like basically start with Lori Ben Benick's childhood and quite honestly, it's just not very interesting. Their living room furniture had plastic on it. I know these are a joke, but her parents really did have plastic on their furniture. Our furniture was really beat up. We had five kids jumping on it, you know. Um, one of the first times I was there and I touched the furniture and Lori goes, come out of there. And she goes, you can't walk on that carpet. <laughs> and I don't really know what part it plays in the rest of the things. It just seems like kind of a completist type thing. Like, oh, we might as well talk about it. But for like the first 20 minutes... Like, if I hadn't had to review this for crime writers, I think I would have given up on it. And I'm glad that I had to listen to it because I think it actually gets quite a bit better right after that. But, you know, for what's basically, I thought, a very interesting story, I feel like it starts off about as boringly, if that is in fact a word, as possible given the subject matter. Now, Laura, you have a question for me, which is why this podcast now, that was one of the notes you Mm -hmm. sent. Why did you ask that question? Well, I guess the thing is, I mean, I don't know this case intimately, but I have heard of the case. I have heard of the song, Run Bambi Run. When you look up the case, it's already been made into two made-for-TV movies, several books, lots of tabloid coverage. It's not like this case hasn't been covered. And I know that the pitch is that This is going to show us new information that casts doubt on the case and whatever. But I don't feel like in the four episodes that I heard, I'm hearing anything like new and shocking. So it's a cool case. It's a sexy case. It's got a lot of fun stuff. I mean, who doesn't want to rehash this case? I'm sure there's a new generation of people who aren't familiar with the case. So, I mean, we are sort of at this stage in the true crime podcast genre where we are like, oh, what are some other cool like historical cases that we can spotlight because we have this audience that wants more and more true crime. But I guess for me, when I say why now, Bambi's dead. We're not going to be hearing from Bambi. There's not going to be a chance of her being exonerated at this point. So unless there's like some new big like shocking reveal, there really isn't anything new to this case. 
Hmm. Kevin, do you remember the Bambi Bennett case at all? I remember the idea that she had been a model or a Playboy bunny or something like that, and she escaped from prison, and there was the Run Bambi Run. I knew what Run Bambi Run referred to. Yeah. So what do you think about just sort of the, the way this is unfolding? Because we are, as of now, listen to episode four, and we're getting this sort of chronological story. I mean, we've just gotten to the murder yeah. in episode four. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they start off, like, there's a good case to be made that there's a real mystery to be had here. I was skeptical at first, you know, that it was just going to be a story about a famous inmate escape. But now I kind of want to see the receipts that they've got that, you know, maybe she was innocent, maybe she was railroaded. You remember in Suspect, of course you remember Suspect, oh, but it starts off- of all time, you mean Suspect? Well, it starts off with the party, Yeah. right? It, it, it puts all the chess pieces out for a real interesting whodunit. I, maybe I mixed my metaphors there. But we just hit episode four, and, and this is the one that I start to find interesting when they sort of go over what happened the night of the murder. And I'm almost wondering, like what Toby's saying, is if maybe- they started with that first because mm. they used the first three to set up the scene about who the different people are and the axes they have to grind and the weird things that they have. And then, boom, there's a murder. And I'm wondering if you started with the murder and you're like, well, of course she did it. And why would the cops frame her? And then you reveal that that it would be more interesting story to follow along with. But. I don't know. I don't know if that I kind of forgot what your question was, but I, no, that, that's I, where I'm going with no, it. No, I actually it's funny that you should say that because that that episode, it's funny because we'll talk about production stuff in a minute. But the way that episode was set up, I was actually listening to that episode and I was thinking this is sort of like the the concept of the first episode of Suspect and that she sort of explains like what an Agatha Christie mm-hmm. murder is where it's a closed space. You have all of the suspects in the same place. And this is what a lot of people think that a murder investigation is supposed to be, right? They're stories with clear rules, clear suspects, and they often take place in a confined location. So there's nowhere to hide. They're stuck in a snowdrift on the Orient Express. They're stranded on an island without a boat. Which means the murderer is always there in plain sight. He or she is always one of the main characters waiting to be found out. And that the the cops approach this murder this way, we think it has to be one of these people. That would have been a very interesting place to start the story. That is where, as an editor, I would have started the story. I would have started with, there was a murder. And the cops believed it would have had to have been one of the people in this murder. And then I would have started there. Right. Yeah. Instead, they did this sort of chronological telling. And I agree with Toby that, like, it shouldn't have taken that long to get to that point. Because by the time when I got to that point, I was like, oh, okay, now we're now we're there. Yeah. 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 Because I find that if you're going to tell any story, you know, one episode a week, meaning I'm going to tell you a, a part of the story now. It has to be good enough so that seven days from now, when it comes down, that's the thing I want to listen to. Yeah. And unless you're dropping them all at once, then you should be putting some strong stuff first. And I think Toby's right. I I, I sort of enjoyed the setup, but it did feel a little bit like we're checking boxes here about here's the ch- her childhood and here's you know the stuff and didn't really pare down what would make me want to keep coming back. And I didn't really get hooked until this last episode. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, I'm going to run Kevin Run uh, <laughs> right into the business section. Is okay. that okay, everybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. Climb over that fence, Kevin. Uh, so as we told you earlier in the week, my computer blew up. It did. With all of, I mean, every, all the files, everything, all yep. the business stuff. Yep. Fortunately, my friends at the Geek Squad oh. were able to recover everything. Yeah. Uh, which not is, able to recover your computer, though. We still got to buy one. Still got to buy one. Are they a new sponsor? They're not. No. They're not. We are working on that. That would be super. But uh, we need. We actually need a computer good. right now. Yes. But there is still stuff coming up on Patreon. Laura Bricker is putting together, as we speak, the next edition of Leave It to Bricker. And mm-hmm. give us a sneak peek. Well, um, you recall <laughs> the last Leave It to Bricker. I was talking about the Bleep Bleep Spa. Uh, my friend Mary, who was a special guest on that actually paid a visit there and we're going to hear just what happened wow. when she went inside. Nice. I hope the ending was happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to find out like what's happening behind the scenes at Partners in Crime Media, uh, you know, like well, you'll find out like when I get a new computer or <laughs> we can afford it. I mean, if it, or if you'd like to see the pet of the week or the tweet of the week or, you know, get some more information on our our different reviews, you should sign up for our free newsletter. Mm. Just go to crimewriterson.com yes. and right at the top you put your email in there and uh, we promise to only uh, sell these two actual Nigerian princes. Yes, the website we've had for eight plus years, crimewriterson.com Kevin. You know what's funny? It's not, it's not very cheap like we can't buy a new computer. Like we need a good computer because you're editing audio on that thing. We don't need oh like God, a janky. I, we can't get like a Commodore sixty four. We need like I need a, terabytes. We need an expensive of, CPU. Yeah. It's got to be an expensive like gaming CPU. This is an unexpected expense. So please join our Patreon, support this business, so we can get Kevin back up and running to edit our show. So Kevin, speaking of Patreon, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are. Claire White and Tara Isaacson. Bless you. Bless you guys. And thanks for supporting us. Thanks for everyone who supports us on Patreon. And Kevin, does thus end the business section? Thus ends the business section. So, Toby, do you believe, as I do, that there could be an entire film or like a series like The Wire or a podcast? About the Milwaukee Police Department in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, like a like Fucking a bananas. boogie nights type of movie, but about yeah. the uh, <laughs> Milwaukee Police Department. Yeah. Yes. Shamil Shamazi. <laughs> I, I feel like that might be why I end up liking it more than Laura and Kevin, is that I just thought Me too. <laughs> like I wasn't I wasn't too like the whole thing, like did she do it or didn't she do it or did somebody else do it or whatever. Yeah, I, I get that that's the hook, but I think what's really interesting is the story about 
you know, a, a young, very attractive woman sort of entering this institution, the Milwaukee Police Department, it's like an incredible, like the, the chief kind of runs it with an iron iron fist and says there's not, we don't have any problems, but in fact, you know, there's cops stealing drugs and pornography out of the back of their cruisers. And some of the few women cops are wearing Victoria's Secret in the locker room when they're changing, according to this one woman. Uh, there's wild parties. In the park? In the, in the park with nudity and mm. uh, masturbation and stuff in front of kids. I mean, it's crazy. And then you have this woman... Laurie Bambenek, who kind of joins it. And then the story, like, every once in a while, I would just get to a part of this podcast and be like, I don't know if that's actually right. So they say they called her Bambi because she had big doe eyes. Like, I'm going to call you Bambi. I was like, her last name is Bambenek. You know, that's... <laughs> yeah. Isn't that why you call her Bambi? Um, <laughs> Maybe it was a combination of the two. I, I don't know. I thought I thought all that stuff was, was super interesting. And, I'm going to name her Bambi because I want to shoot her mother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even remember Bambi because her best friend is a skunk. Yeah. <laughs> Flower. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just thought I thought all this stuff was was just really interesting, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like if I was looking for something to write a, a limited series or like there's like a lot of stuff here uh, to work with, so I, I thought that was good. So, Laura, you know a lot of cops. Do they have dinner uh, parties in the park and uh, take pictures of them and hand them around in the department? Sounds like a sword and scale meetup. <laughs> not anymore. Not not yeah. anymore, but I will say, at the time period that this happened... <laughs> not anymore. Well, no. I mean, like, this was like the early there 80s. There used to be peen everywhere. It was a different time. and Scrotum uh, you know, as far as you could see. You hear stories about these sort of things, but you hear stories about these sort of things in the past. You don't hear about them happening anymore. Um, but this particular department, in terms of the level of like sexuality that was on display and being embraced by members of the department was, I mean, it was a little unusual. I don't know, you know, perhaps there were other places like that. But when you heard that story about how much was going on in that department and I mean, it was kind of like a free-for-all. I mean, I was like, good God, like, is there anybody in this department not having sex right now? Like, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. So now if you hear a story like this, it's like a one-off. There's like one cop that's doing stuff like yeah. this. It's not like <laughs> an entire department. And I haven't heard a story about one cop doing this for about 18 years. So yeah, I I'm sure mm. there are things like that happening in places, but- it's not to the degree that it was in the late 70s, early 80s. I'm actually curious what you thought, and I actually was sort of being facetious when I asked about nudity in the park. I'm actually curious yeah. about what you thought about the morals clause of this police chief. I found that like particularly interesting because I really do want to talk about the engagement ring on the corpse situation and how it may have related to this police chief who had apparently for his his particular like unit... He had this thing where like a morals clause, like where you couldn't be sleeping with somebody unless you were married, which isn't that illegal. I'm sorry, but like as an employer, I believe it's illegal yeah. to have a clause like that. And, and let, right. Unless it was the 70s. And I can't believe a union would have agreed to that. In it's a, a contract, freaking but all right. sex cult. 
is what it is, Rebecca. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, what did you think of that? Like, is it, you know, I know that you also, to be fair, also know a lot of municipal employees, but the idea that there was women being employed by this place where there are these morals clauses, but also that he enforced the EEOC's practices about hiring women by agreeing to hire as many women as he needed to to meet the percentages and then just mm-hmm. saying, I'll hire as many as I need to, but then I'll just fire as many of them as I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's bullshit. I mean, this guy, what a hypocrite. So, I mean, we have that practice. We have the, um, you can't sleep with somebody if you're not married. Give me a fucking break. Like the reason that you have to have a clause like that is because everybody's doing it. Mm. I mean, it's like having like teenagers. Do you really think they're not doing something just because you don't know about it? Mm. How about you and your partner don't go to a bar while you're on duty? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's fun, though, you know, and then grab the bartender and take him to a different bar. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wasn't there a story that the chief of police shot a guy dead in a bar because he was like holding the place up? So he just pulled the gun out and shot him and went back drinking. Yeah. Like it's like it's the OK Corral. It's like the wild, wild west for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that, that that sort of sex everywhere in the department, that sort of free for all environment, that sort of like. Okay, we're having like our big like everybody in this whole department is having sex and trading partners, but now we have a morality clause. But we're going to persecute Bambi is a bunch of bullshit. So, Kevin, there is like a making a murderer thread here, right? Because she had this lawsuit against the police department going. She was married to a cop when this murder happened. And ostensibly, the reason she refused to take the lie detector test when her husband's ex-wife was murdered was because she was afraid they were going to ask her questions about her ongoing lawsuit against the police department. But maybe she was also just like, I don't want to take the fucking lie detector test because there's going to be people I know in the room or for whatever reason. There are threads of that here, right? Because I think it's fair to say that, like, she was a, a target of the cops. Right. I mean, you just listed them all. Uh, but I, th- I think that, you know, if uh, you or I were arrested and we said the cops are framing us, it doesn't ring true because, like, what reason would they have? But on the surface, certainly with Stephen Avery, and then again here, yeah, with Laurie Benbenek, that they actually do have stuff on the police that are investigating them. And so could it be that they're doing it to discredit uh, the whistleblower? Yeah, it it could, but it also could be just because, uh, you know, they're the one who's there at the time. So, um, yeah, it may not be that. So, Chubby, there is that scene after the murder of Christine Schultz where she's in her open casket at her viewing before the funeral. Everyone is gathered around. Lori has to go. And it's obviously very uncomfortable because she doesn't want to be a stepmother to Fred's kids. And we've heard all of that. But then Christine is wearing the engagement ring and there's all this speculation about why she's wearing it. I know that that's a lot of like detail and like, you know, kind of he said, she said stuff. But it was also crazy. Right. Yeah, it's it's awesome detail. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's, it's a great little piece, right? It's because everybody knows that he didn't actually propose, and she said yes, but he's put a ring on her finger, and what does that mean? You know, so there's all these different, you know, aspects to what the possible meaning could be from, like, you know, trying to appease the morality clause, you know, trying to make his relationship look more. Than it was stuff like that, and it, it, it's such an interesting detail that I I wish they could have done a little bit more with it. Like I think they could have even like I was like maybe you could start the whole 
freaking podcast with it, or you could at least mm. start like one of the episodes with it, because I do think it's one of those things where it's like, if you bring it up, you mention that it's a big deal, and that feels like a hook to me. It's like, well, why is that a big deal? And then you can kind of tease out the different things that it could mean and why that makes people think different ways about things. So anyway, I, I mean, I think that was one of the, I think that's the most obvious piece, but I think there's some good, strong, like little details that she picks out of this case that I think make it, you know, more interesting or, or just, it just shows that she has a good eye for details like that. Yeah. So, Kevin, we have to talk about the production of this podcast. Okay. There is a lot of sound. There is. And what do you think about that? I mean, I, I think that it, you know, I've said this before, that sound effects are a lot like chili peppers. A little bit goes a long way, mm. and too much ruins the whole thing. Give me an example of like where that happens in this podcast. So, in episode four, we have this whole thing about how the call about the murder goes in, and then the cops all start responding and you know we hear cars and sirens and like you know trying to build like this fake sense of urgency and drama that i think is already there so uh this is produced by campside media i think this is the most wondery production that they've done as far as having you know a lot of uh sound effects and the delivery of the um of the host and even the artwork i thought was reminiscent of some wondery stuff so I think that they could have pulled back a little bit. They didn't have to turn the dial to 11. And from all over the city, the police stopped whatever they were doing. Patrolling, partying, drinking, whatever. If they were sleeping on the job, they rubbed the sleep out of their eyes and they headed to Ramsey Avenue. Because this wasn't just any shooting. It was in the family. The the best piece of sound in the entire time was when they're talking about how they're at a Pink Floyd concert. And then they play this music that could not sound any less like Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd sang about pigs, the people who are at the top of the social order. They sometimes had a big blimp of a pig floating around. And as it came back down, it was right on top of us and it exploded because it was helium. And I remember looking at her and going, oh my God, did that just happen? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's like a George Thorogood concert or something. But... I guess my question is, Toby, have you been to a Pink Floyd concert? Uh, I have not. I went to see David oh. Gilmore solo, which okay. was similar. Did a pig explode right over you? <laughs> no, although uh, I've got friends who went to see Roger Waters, and he, uh, during the Trump presidency, leaned way in on the pig's theme, and they did have the giant flying pig balloon. Over the oh, audience. Not the giant flying pig. Yeah, it didn't explode on them. The question is, have you uh, had any like tiny little bits of weed left at your seat and then had... Jody come back got... and blame it on me? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a French-speaking roommate who got you into all kinds of trouble? She was all dating all kind Mr. Of trouble. USA. <laughs> muscles on top of muscles. Oh, wait. It's uh -huh. Toby. He's incognito right now. He's yeah. Mr. USA. <laughs> it's... Uh, I couldn't figure out why, like, after that first thing where she, like, was like, no, it was, it was her, why do you keep hanging out with her? Like, it seems at that Money. point it would be, like, she would seem, like, a little unreliable. Okay, here's the whole <laughs> thing. I totally fucking get it. I'm sorry. This is like, this thing I totally get. These people are young, right? They are young. They do not have any money. And like you're living in a shitty apartment, you need someone else to live there who can contribute 200 bucks a month to the rent. It's like, sure. Yeah. 
my French speaking friend who got me in trouble that time, if she's going to pay, like we all, maybe you guys have never been in that situation. I've been in that situation where I'm like, yeah, you suck. You're going to bring over like your boyfriend who also sucks, but whatever, as long as you bring your 200 bucks or whatever, sure, whatever. I mean, as long as he doesn't have like a snake or some shit like that. Yeah. No, he's just got a fridge full of drugs. (laughs) (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Run Bambi Run? It's a new show on Apple Podcasts. There's only four episodes out right now. I'm not sure we've gotten quite into the super meat of the story, but so far, impressions. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? So I I guess I'm going to say, if you like a highly stylized podcast, you will like this podcast. That is not my style of podcast. So I had a really hard time getting past the style of narration, the sort of slickness, as Kevin pointed out, the sort of wonderiness of this podcast. Also, I think the fact that, like I said, why now? Like, I don't feel, I know we're being told, we're being told some new information or we're being, and then that we're examining this case in a different way. But I guess I never really felt that or actually bought into that. So I don't know. I mean, I did enjoy the escape to Canada scene in the beginning. We're on our honeymoon and we got through. And I totally would have wanted to be in that car during that getaway because that is something I would have participated in. But overall, I mean, for me, this podcast, I'm going to go thumbs down just because it wasn't my style of podcast. And I didn't feel like I was learning anything new about the case that I couldn't find elsewhere. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for Run Bambi Run. Look, so the first 20 minutes I found difficult to get through. But after that, I thought it was pretty good. As far as what Laura's saying about why now, like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't follow it very closely, but I do remember the Bambi Ben Benick thing, I guess, back in the early 90s or late 80s. And I, and I think what, what this does that's interesting is it takes a look at, you know, for me, my memory is, oh, you know, some like hot prisoner on the run or whatever, and we're all supposed to root for her. But what it does is it it takes and it sort of it a tells you the story that I think at least I was unaware of at all about her brief employment with the police and other stuff that she did, but also kind of contextualizes like her being a woman, you know, when she was in the police, I think late 70s, early 80s in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee Police Department at that time was wild. So I just found that all really interesting. Whether or not there's going to actually make a credible case as to whether uh, Lori Bambenek did or did not murder the victim, like, I don't know. But to me, that seems sort of the hook 
to kind of tell this like bigger story, which I'm enjoying quite a bit. So I give it a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Guys, I want to read for you the last email I got from my grandmother. Oh, oh no, no, no. No, I'm just kidding. No. She, she going out Call about back Bambi. To Monday's show. I really hope yeah. that Bambi gets away. Anyone who doesn't understand that reference, check out the review from that Kevin made on a last Monday's podcast. So I'm going to go thumb sideways. I mean, I, I do give them props for finding a story that is a little deeper than what people know about it. It's not just about the escape or even the murder. There's all these really interesting characters who are around and could have been involved and it's good to mix them up and they do a good job sort of bringing in other people like the uh, biographer the host takes some time to show off her own personality those are all good things i don't know if they're telling the story in a way that's compelling enough that's going to keep people coming back week after week so i can't say that it's it's bad but i can't say that i'm really loving it so that's why i'm going right down the middle yeah, so I'm thumbs up. But Kevin, I do agree with you that the order of this is flawed because there's some stuff in here that is just so freaking good. Like I would have started with the either started with the Agatha Christie thing or as Toby suggested, started with the engagement ring scene or started with the cops nude in the park Milwaukee stuff and like had this be a Sybil story like, you know, whistleblower story. There's so many entry points to start that aren't. Bambi Bambetic was born in and grew up in. And then, you know, this chronological, the chronological storytelling does not work for this because for me, it shouldn't take until episode four to get to, for lack of a better way to phrase it, like the kids woke up in the middle of the night and witnessed their mom being murdered and the cops came to the scene and the dad was at a bar and Lori was at her house. That happened in episode four, right? That should have, yeah. that's, that's all evidentiary stuff that happened and the moment of a murder, that's episode one material. You know, that is a big flaw of this podcast. That being said, the stuff that happened in the police department is fascinating. And I am really, really like the threads that really have me are the Stephen Avery making a murder stuff, the whistleblower stuff. I think the story is super interesting. I think the journalism here is very, very interesting. I like a lot of the storytelling. I like a lot of the writing. Uh, I just, I kind of just wish it was edited very differently. So I'm a thumbs up on this. I think a lot of the the stuff in it is really, really good. I just wish it was edited and put together a little bit differently. So thumbs up for me for Run Bambi Run. All right, well, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. And and first, before I say our cat of the week, I want to give a little shout out to my cat, Rocky Flintstone. He's had a very tough week. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So I'm sure out in our crime runners universe, other people have had cats that have this issue. He's a male cat. He got the thing where he has like the male urine pee pee issue. Oh, so, the stones. Yeah. So now he has to be on the diet uh, and he doesn't want to yeah. eat the diet. He is very finicky. I'm trying to feed him water out of every device that I have in my house, including a plastic wine glass. I thought that might entice him. Um, Do you have the water fountain thing that runs all yeah, the time? Yeah, I've had like that. that I have the water. Yeah. I have multiple things. So it's been a long week for Rocky Flintstone. He's adjusting to his new lifestyle. So if you have tips on how to get your cat to eat new food and adjust to being a sort of special diet cat, send them my way. My cat is a persnickety uh, prima donna. Hmm. He's diet divergent. He is. He is. But our cat of the week this week comes to us from Jill Bunting, who is our listener from Alaska. 
who is one of my favorites because she came to Exeter last summer when she had like extra sky miles and she came to Boston and she's like, hey, Exeter's not that far. So Jill was asking a while back for advice about whether to get a kitten or an adult cat and took lots of advice. Jill adopted Honey Marie in February and she will be two years old next month. She's an adult cat with a personality of a kitten. They adore each other. She has not done anything worthy of Cat of the Week status, but she thought it was a great opportunity to share her lovely face with all of you. And Jill Bunting came to Exeter later this year. Very soon, I might be announcing other ways for people to come to Exeter. So if you want to be like Jill, stay tuned to Crime Writers On. Nice. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and suggest their animals, any kind of animal, mm-hmm. to be Cat of the Week. It doesn't have to be a cat, obviously. It does Or if they have suggestions for your diet divergent cat, <laughs> how can they find you on Twitter? Of course, you can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. We get a lot of animal suggestions that way. But if they want to tweet to you, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you specifically, Patrick Hines, to say yes... I will make that new podcast with four of you crime writers and Toby Ball. Perhaps you should be the host of it and the other panelists can be just the panelists. How can Patrick Hines find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Kevin, you do look like Elliot from E.T. in that red sweatshirt. (laughs) How can they find you on Twitter? I am at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Join it. It is freaking awesome. It is just really, really, really good in our Facebook group. I promise. Go to our page. Hit join the group. Just trust me. It's awesome. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll help Kevin buy a new computer because his exploded you get all of our extra podcasts that we make there it is completely worth it our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the very talented olivia burdett the executive producer of this program is the milwaukee cop endowed kevin flynn this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the That's bodega thing, right? in bay st <laughs> louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our new hampshire basement where I continuously hire and fire Kevin just to get around those pesky equal opportunity employment regulations. Mm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Excuse me. Mm. (laughs) That was a very Howard Stern moment I just had. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.